Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode number 102 of Thyroid Nation Radio Live Talk Show and Podcast. I'm Dana Bowman, founder of ThyroidNation.com and ThyroidHealing.yoga. And I'm Tiffany Milanich of GratefulGarden.biz and MendingMedicine.com. Today we are talking with seeker of truth in medicine, preventative cardiologist, and best-selling author of Wheat Belly, and the upcoming undoctored, Dr. William Davis. Very cool. I'm super excited about this. This is this reminds me of like an iodine topic. You know what I mean? You have the wheat topic and you have <laughs> the iodine, and they're two hot, pressing topics. So it doesn't look like he's quite with us yet. So how are you today this morning, honey? I'm well. I'm well. I mean, I'm well. <laughs> well sounds good, right? <laughs> What's that? I said, well, sounds good, so let's just stick with well. I'm well. Well, You know, it's hard when well you have sounds... two sick people doing a podcast. You can't, you just can't fake it sometimes. <laughs> We've been doing this over two years, and, you know, we have days where we just, you know, can't help it. So that's one of mine. So no sympathy or pity. I'm just, you know, having a day. That's all. I hate to say I'm sorry I asked, but it is part of it is part of the journey. <laughs> the ups and downs and, you know, doing too much and or different things going on in our health. This is what we tell people, right? This is the this is the journey. We have to relish yeah. it and embrace it and and listen when the body says, Girl, you need some downtime <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And mine is saying that. It is talking and I am listening. <laughs> Right? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, I wanted well, to talk really quickly about Elle Russ because I just chatted with her, um, and they, she sent us some wonderful things from Primal Kitchen, which we both mm-hmm. are loving, right? I mean, I just had the Caesar I'm salad dressing. It was fabulous last night. Which one did you try? The Caesar. And I'm doing the, I've been doing the ranch dressing, and I love the chipotle mayonnaise. Oh my gosh! Mm. Mm. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that is. Crazy. I just messaged thank her and told her thank you. Oh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just amazing stuff, and the girls are loving the granola bars, the cashew. I think they were cashew coconuts. I love mm-hmm. they're so clean and the protein in there, and love the hydrolyzed collagen. Uh, the grass-fed collagen in those bars, and just good stuff. I mean, really, I mean, it's so difficult to find, you know, really clean foods where you understand and all of the ingredients are just so, you know, so easily read. When I find stuff like that, I'm just like, this is fabulous. So we are, are giving Elle a huge loving the, loving the food and a huge thank loving you. Loving Primal Kitchen. Just loving it, right? Mm-hmm. Primal Kitchen, um, they've got now. Now I'm like curious to get some stuff on, some other stuff on there. But I love in the ranch oh. dressing. I haven't tried the Caesar yet. I can't get past the ranch because I like it. <laughs> I know, isn't uh-huh. it wonderful? Uh, gosh, what was I gonna say? Hmm. Just went uh-huh. blank from the brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> brain blank. Oh, I was yeah, brain blank. No, I was gonna talk about Dr. <laughs> Davis since. Since he's our guest, I wanted to talk about um, just a little bit about him since, since he'll be on in just a few minutes with us. Um, Wheat Belly, 
who has not read the book? I mean, it is just one of those bestsellers that you see it, you know, sitting in the store or grocery store, Costco, and uh, you know exactly what it is. And it's, it's telling and scary. And there's just so much to it. You know, I was reading one of his articles talking about how bread and, and, um, and the like uh, raise your blood sugar more than sugar. Oh, for sure. It's like drugs. You know, when I was when I was first getting to know my my sugars and blood sugars and everything, my blood sugar could spike higher with like a a one inch piece of French bread than it would say with like a homemade piece, you know, a small homemade piece of apple pie. I'm assuming part of that has to do with you know the fats because I use you know when I bake I use good fats and stuff like that, which slows that uptake. But um, yo, for sure, yeah. I mean, it's like a it's a fanny whooping. Bread is a fanny whip, and I swear bread is more detrimental to diabetics than, than sugar ever could be. And that's a huge misconception. I'm so glad you brought that up. You know, right? everybody thinks sugar, right, sugar, 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 but they don't realize that, you know, there are things that are, you know, much more detrimental or also part of the picture, like carbs, you know. Uh, any kind of carbs, you eat too many, and you're going to be in a little bit of a pickle for if you have, you know, those particular problems. Well, you know, you talk, we talk so much about how the fact um, that gluten and, and uh, grains and all that's, you know, not good for um, autoimmune, but you just don't, people don't think about the blood sugar aspect. I know my husband doesn't, so I just wanted to mention it because it's, it's not, there's a lot of reasons why we all love bread. <laughs> and so that must be one of them. Um, well, I can't wait to hear his answer, the addictions, you know, the know. addictions to bread. But, I mean, I really think that, you know, even alcoholism is, is you know, associated with the sugar craving. You know what I'm saying? It's oh. more, do you know what I mean? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. You know, your body that'll, just That'll raise my blood it. sugar pretty good, too. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, when you celebrate your 20-year anniversary and you have one too many, as you toast away the night, definitely, I have to agree. But 20 years Tell me, is a right? Biggie, you so. are still... Still repairing from that, aren't you? I am. Happy anniversary! No, but it was worth it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Thank you. I'm not. It, actually, our anniversary was last week when we were talking to Stacy, and I meant to say something, but but we celebrated on Saturday, so it was pretty wonderful. And you know, it was worth it for me because 20 years is a big deal. But uh, I am definitely paying for it. And you know, hmm. other so other ask not, you. other Did not you so eat? momentous occasions would would. <laughs> You know, not it wouldn't be this fun, I have to say. <laughs> but this was worth it. So, uh-huh. did you eat when you were drinking? We did. We did. We went to we dinner. Did. We had you know nice salad, and um, he had uh, I think we had some crab cakes, and I had some sautéed mushrooms, and yeah, it was. Oh wow, you. We definitely ate there. Yeah, we definitely. Yeah, we had some food. So it was it wasn't that i was on an empty stomach it was just that i was celebrating with a little one too many so my body definitely was talking to me later and and even today it's still talking to me so you know we're just it just happens so Can't what did you it. have to drink like i i know there's certain wine. things that just white wine kill me like wine i can't wine if i take a sip man i am just like uh, you know but I can drink dark beer. Like, I mean, maybe that's my genetics. That's the German and the Irish coming out, right? I'm designed right. to drink beer, dark beer. Now I can't drink, I can't drink, you know, um, 
other beer, but I can drink dark beer and feel just fine. <laughs> Isn't that weird? It is. <laughs> well, you're Irish weird. Beer. Like Guinness. You're weird. I'm just like, it's my cells going, you know, Irish Irish girl home. <laughs> uh, but like champagne, champagne and white wine, yeah, tiffy out. Oh, champagne. Yeah, out. no, champ- champagne is a killer for me too. It really is. Um, I don't really. It no, is. Kidding. Don't really do. I don't really do it. Uh, champagne, you know, that often, even then it's like a sip to toast or something, because I know that's going to get me. It's going to get me. It's going to hang on for a long time. <laughs> I will. I just toast and then I hand the rest to my sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh-oh, <laughs> we're throwing Tori under the bus. Today. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, but, of course, you know, eating is, like, mandatory. And, you know, this is going to sound silly, but there are better ways. I mean, as long as we're, you know, talking about being a couple of luscious here, we might as well share some <laughs> secrets, you know. <laughs> but uh you know the the what the what kind and the when and the how is really um part of cheating i i think for me you know uh, i usually mm-hmm. do some fattier type foods when i'm when i'm doing it and and of course always have to eat i always have to eat and then there's different liquors that are better for different people you know what i mean you kind of have to find your find, a lot of people do well with vodka you know I do well with vodka. I just was in the mood for a little, you know, wine toasting. And so, you know, one led to two, which led to three, which might have even later, about four hours later, had four, which put me right over the edge. So when we're talking one, we're talking one bottle, not one glass, right? Oh, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, keep up. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Well, I, know. I I know that he is probably just in some kind of a pickle. Nor, normally physicians can, you know, a little shout out to the physicians out there that uh you know, they can have rounds and emergencies and different things and and you know, things come up. So we're hoping that uh, Dr. Davis is going to be able to make it with us today. I just heard from his assistant, and so we are in communication. So he is going to be with us momentarily. That is a bonus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're going to be super excited. It's really just such a good topic. So to have an expert on here is just, for me, I'm, I'm chomping at the bit. Dr. Davis, well, let's go. And he's a, well, and <laughs> just he's, forget you know, all of those cardiology patients. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Don't need them. And join the two lushes on Thyroid Nation Radio. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, cardiologist, you know, he's he knows. He's one of those biggies, you know. He started his – well, I want, I want him to tell his journey, but, you know, he's he's got a lot of good things to say. And, and be sure and check out his website while we're talking and waiting, wheatbelly.com. He does have a new book. Of course, Wheat Belly is a bestseller. I'm sure everybody's heard about heard of it. Wheat Belly, lose the wheat, lose the weight, and find your path back to health. And he has a new one coming out called Undoctored. So we're going to talk to him about that. It's basically the general topic mm-hmm. for today's show. Well, and he definitely uh, hits the hits the topic with how to be smarter than your physician. I love that one. <laughs> I'm ready for that one. He also has a 10-day 10, 10 grain detox course. 
uh, for $79.99. That is not bad. That's totally doable if you need a little bit of help getting rid of the, the grain. And that's at wheatbelly.com. I have to giggle. So on his Wheat Belly cover book, you know, he's got six bagels on there. <laughs> and I'm going to and, uh, Well, I'm just realizing, right, as I'm staring at these six bagels, how much of a problem I really have. It's like a, well, I have to tell you, that is my drug. So everybody knows I've never done any drugs, but bagels and cream cheese are my drug. That is, and I can't eat them. I can't eat them. They make me feel like death. They make me feel like death. We'll just leave it at that. And it's so sad, right? I know, because you love it. I do. I do. Bagels and cream cheese. I'll stop saying it. Yeah, please. I think I'm drooling. <laughs> you, can, you can also uh, check out wheatbellyblog.com. And I'm on his About Us page right now. It says cardiologist, author, health crusader. The food you eat is making you sick, and the agencies that are providing you with guidelines on what to eat are giving dangerous advice with devastating health consequences. You can change that today. So we are definitely looking forward to talking to him in just a few minutes. Hmm, that's like a flower field moment right there, you know? Mm. The mental you know, effects. I- we need to ask him the mental effects of these foods, right, that are bad for us. I mean, I don't eat it because it makes me feel horrible. That's just that simple. So I just don't, you know, it's not a consequence that I'm, that I'm, that's worth taking. You know what I'm saying for me? Mm Mm-hmm. But there's such a mental aspect to that, you know? There's definitely a mental aspect. Um, It's a cloudy, foggy aspect for sure. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, it feels like I literally have a glue covering my receptors in my brain, with, particularly with certain types of, of wheat. Yeah. I no, I, mean, I really literally feel like the receptors, I can feel it happening because I just lose cognition. It's terrible. It's terrible, right? And, and you know, these people, I mean, that that aren't, self-aware and that right now are healthy in their life and are just, you know, eating bread all the time. Just wait. And how terrible. I mean, we have, we are a bread culture. It's, it's crazy. Well, we're trained that way. I mean, let's Mm -hmm. face it, even, you know, I always like to sort of research the pros and cons so that we can, you know, address those with, when we have an expert, you know, asking the questions of, you know, that people have saying that that's not a good thing to do. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's fascinating to me. You know, like we talked about before that, like the iodine debate, you can have really smart people on both sides that are just so adamant about, um, you know, how they, how they feel and the research that they've studied and... Um, you know, it just it just fascinates me how we could be so divided. You know, really intelligent people be so divided. Well, and then, you know, you see people that are, you know, at a restaurant eating and they're just eating bread. And, you know, they've seen gluten-free and, you know, they've seen people not eating bread. You know, they've heard things, but they're still over there just eating their bread. <laughs> so right. some of it's denial and some of it is it hasn't caught up with them. I mean, surely 
you know, bread isn't really good for anybody. So, <laughs> but, oh, I think he's with us. Yay. Hang on one second, guys. I'm going to click right. him in. All right. Let's get this thyroid nation thriving. Good morning. Hi, guys. Good morning. How are you this morning? I, I'm 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 good. My apologies for joining the conversation late, but I, I actually lost my internet for a while. I had the cable guy here fixing it. Oh. Oh wow. <laughs> so yeah. you realize and you know how, how what that happens. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean you, oh, yeah. you do. It, it it's a reality check, right? Well, I'm Dana, yeah, and yeah. I'm the founder of Thyroid Nation. And I'm Tiffany. So welcome and R- thank you so you much for taking the time to be with us today. But my pleasure. We were just. We were singing your praises, so you know you didn't, you know you didn't miss a whole lot because you know all about that. Okay, well, thank you very much. <laughs> well, we always love to start out with, you know, of course, you're a physician, so we know that there was probably some love of medicine in there. But tell us a little bit about your story and how you got involved and and how you got inspired to write the book Wheat Belly, and and just so we can learn a little bit about you. Well, I started my career as an interventional cardiologist, the guy who does stents and uh, angioplasty and the cath lab, all those kinds of things. I became very disenchanted with that world, particularly after my mom died of coronary disease after her two vessel angioplasty, the disease I took care of. And I started to try to find ways to help people deal with this condition and not just submit to statin drugs and stents and procedures, which is a miserable way. It's an absolutely miserable way of dealing with a disease. So we started to track the disease using uh, what are called CT heart scans. And, you know, here, a key concept that I picked up back then, and I continue even to this day, is if you put a, a tracking device, uh, uh, some means of tracking a number, whether it's blood sugar or coronary disease or vitamin D level, whatever, if you give somebody a, a tool to track something with, people can do it themselves and find new answers, and we all find better solutions then they take a drug or have a procedure. So in this case, it was a coronary calcium scoring. And it led to uh, a whole set of solutions that had nothing to do with things like statin drugs and cutting fat in your diet, which I did, by the way, 20 years ago, and it does not work. We published, helped publish some of those data. It does not work. It has a minimal effect on progression of coronary. You know, coronary disease is serious business, right? It's heart attacks, sudden cardiac death need for coronary bypass surgery and stents and all that. So big, it's, it's, it's a big problem. It's a very scary problem. And if you can give somebody the means to control it, you've done somebody a, a big favor. Well, it became clear one of the most dominant causes of heart disease. This, these are not my data. This is from a number of universities. These data have been published for over 20 years. The number one most common cause for heart attack and heart disease is an excess of small LDL particles. LDL cholesterol is kind of the kindergarten way of thinking about it. It's really an excess of small LDL particles. Well, only two foods cause this dominant cause of heart disease, grains and sugars. And that's well established, not my speculation. So I started taking grains and sugars out of people's diet. Lo and behold, small LDL values dropped to the floor, a number like 1,900. Uh, That's how small LDL is measured, a a particle count per volume. And 1,900 nanomoles per liter drops to zero or something close to that. So I started doing this, but then people started coming back with these incredible stories. Like, my joint pain is now gone. I lost 47 pounds. You didn't tell me I'd lose weight. <laughs> uh, my acid reflux is gone. My ulcerative colitis is almost gone. Uh, my leg swelling is gone. My plantar fasciitis is better. 
So that started the whole wheat belly conversation when it became clear that agribusiness had also a hand in changing the wheat plant and taking it out yielded magnificent health benefits. That started the wheat belly conversation. Woo! That, what a that good is fascinating. That's a good conversation <laughs> because, you know, here we both are with Hashimoto's and we know the effects that, uh, you know, gluten and, and uh, grains can, can have on our bodies. It's not fun. Oh, and sugars. My sugars can be just, just as bad, to be honest. So those studies that were done, Dr. Davis, were they on uh, less or no grains and sugars? You know, was it, was it a matter of management, like cutting back on, you know, total carbohydrate or just eliminating entirely grains and sugars? When I first started out, and we're going back now over 10 years, I just started with wheat because, you know, when you deal with real life humans, as you know, you have to sometimes just do what's practical. You can't always do what's ideal. And I, I reasoned back then, my crude reasoning back then was wheat was the most dominant grain of all, and it was the worst. And so we took only wheat and limited sugars. And that alone yielded uh, very big effects. But it also became clear that if you, you know, there's, there's so much shared genetics and protein characteristics among the various grains because they're all seeds of grass, that they're all related. So wheat is a relative of rye and barley and millet and sorghum and corn and oats and rice because they're all grains or really seeds of grasses. That's what grains are. And so I also saw that if we took out all grains, there were even greater benefits. So if somebody, for instance, had 80% relief of rheumatoid arthritis, uh, pain and swelling by by wheat elimination, you'd get even more by grain elimination. It also became clear that there were many nutritional deficiencies caused by prior grain consumption. You know, we're told, of course, you you two know this, that we're told that grains are filled with nutrients and are essential for B vitamins and fiber, which is absolute nonsense. Grains right. actually cause nutritional deficiencies, but specifically of minerals, but mostly uh, magnesium and uh, to some degrees zinc, iron, and calcium. So you replace some of those nutrients, uh, and you address some common deficiencies, like iodine is very common, vitamin D very common. What I started to see was people were achieving magnificent, extraordinary turnarounds in health losing 130 pounds, no longer diabetic on insulin three drugs, no longer having joint pain, no longer having all those common chronic modern diseases we're familiar with. They tell their doctor and their doctor would make fun of them or say that's stupid. Go back to the way you were. <laughs> In other words, go back on all your medications, go back on the idiotic diet I gave you. <laughs> so that's when it became clear what we had is a collection of strategies that free you from the blundering of doctors because we have this very big problem now. The healthcare system is hell-bent on revenue generation, controlling your life, and monetizing your health. You don't need a statin drug to prevent cardiovascular disease. That's absurd, but it's an $8 billion a year franchise. You don't need a lot of the procedures and drugs we're all told we need. That's their way of monetizing health. So I I think we're all working on the same philosophy here. Health is something that is free and achievable by just about everybody, putting aside rare genetic disorders, right, and car accidents, injury, and infections. We're talking about the common chronic diseases that dominate the healthcare dollar and costs. 
and healthcare interactions like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, acid reflux, IBS, uh, Hashimoto's, uh, thyroid dysfunction, hypothyroidism. These are all conditions that don't, and you two know better than I do, how unbelievably bad most doctors are at dealing with thyroid conditions. How many, <sighs> how many times have you, have you pulled your hair out when you saw somebody on levothyroxine uh, uh, crying because they can't lose weight, they're cold all the time, their hair is falling out, <laughs> their cholesterol is high, they're hypertension, and the doctor says, shut up, you're fine, do you want an antidepressant? <laughs> It's it's, it's it's so true. I mean, we hear you're that speaking our all language. the time. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's so speaking our language. But look and what they, we're and doing here. So you two, you two ladies are a glowing example of what now is happening. So non physicians are talking to each other. We're collaborating. It could be a podcast. It could be an online forum. It could be social media. It could be a, a website like patientslikeme.com or Cure Together or Undoctored where we collaborate. So we're collaborating, and you know what? We're getting answers that aren't like almost as good as healthcare. We're getting answers that are superior to the answers of presumed experts. Because you and I, we all know doctors are not experts. They know a little bit about this and that, like navigating the hospital, how to get you an MRI, and who to see for a surgical procedure. But if you ask them questions about health, like how do I get, how do I become perfectly euthyroid? Most will not know. 90% will not even know. If you ask the conventional doctor, how do I get my vitamin D just right? 90% will bungle it and tell you something bad, like your level of 32 nanograms per milliliter is just fine. What, how should I eat? Eat low fat, limit your calories, move more, eat less. The old advice that does not work makes you fat and diabetic. So if, if, you know, if we took our car to the auto mechanic and he said, I have no idea how to fix your car. I can give you some bad advice, never change your oil and, you know, would you even pay that? You know, you'd walk out. Yet right. we pay the doctor to give us bad advice. And so I, I'm sure you two have got to the point where why are we even relying on doctors and the healthcare system if their intent is to profit from that interaction and not give us health in return? They're there if you bust your hip or tumble down the stairs or have a car accident. They're there. But if you just want health, be slender, free of medication, free of hundreds of health conditions, we can do it on our own. And don't need the doctors. And it's a, an amazing and empowering feeling when you kind of get that. Because I didn't. I didn't seven years ago. I just was going through and doing my thing and, you know, went to the doctor and eventually realized I'm going to have to learn a little bit more because I don't think he's quite cutting it. And then you learn more and then you realize, okay, I know all these things. I can do this. It's empowering. It's frustrating. Too. But I'll bet you the doctor made fun of your efforts to educate yourself. He, well, I lived in Costa Rica, and so yeah, we, he didn't speak a lot of English. <laughs> it was a whole different okay. scenario for me. But, yes, um, you know, he did not mention, I'll tell you, it's, it's crazy because when I got diagnosed, it was truly, truly wonderful the fact that he was able to diagnose me. Right off the bat, my very first doctor living in Costa Rica was an endocrinologist and did an um, in-office ultrasound and did – uh, said, you have Hashimoto's. I was, you know, now I realize what a feat that is um, after, you know, learning everything that I know now. However, he didn't mention autoimmune or lifestyle or gluten or my adrenals or vitamin and, uh, and nutrient deficiencies or any of that. I was leaving the next day for a Zumba convention. I was a Zumba instructor. So I just kept 
you know, plowing on high intensity exercise for the next year until it crashed. So, you know, I mean, yeah, he wasn't laughing because I didn't go back to him, but uh, he might he might have, right? Because he didn't get it. The doctor's often upset when you try to educate yourself. Did you consult Dr. Oh, for Google? Sure. <laughs> right. Dr. Google, but right? They, right. You know, see, see, I, I see this as a great positive. So they're right. 20 years ago, if you Google, I didn't have Google, of course, but, but if you search something, you just get some passive information to read, a lot right. of it paid for by the drug industry, right? But that world is changing, and it's changing very rapidly. We now can very effectively collaborate. You know, we can even assemble our own virtual clinical trials. If you ladies, for instance, said, I, we think that supplement X can, I'm just going to make this up, can restore free T3 levels because it, uh, it unblocks the five prime deiodinase enzyme. And I tried it myself at work. My friend tried it. And a couple other ladies tried it at work. Let's assemble 30, 40, 50, 100 people. Let's all try it. It's a nutritional supplement. You don't need to go through a, uh, you know, a human um, testing committee. Just all agree to buy supplement X and give it a try and report back your results. Maybe it could be a thyroid panel you watch, maybe your oral temperature, whatever. But we now have the capacity to collaborate and even test uh, concepts or new uh, treatments. That's been done, by the way, and, it, and is being published. Patientslikeme.com, for instance, tested lithium carbonate as a treatment for Lou Gehrig's disease. It, it turned out it didn't work, despite a, a wonderful anecdotal uh, observations to start. But right. people are now organizing. <clears throat> so why do we need the doctor? If the doctor's going to give us only prescriptions or procedures that benefit his, health, his, his hospital system, you know, doctors are now incentivized to drive revenues for their systems. So that they're told things like, the more revenues you generate this quarter, the larger your end-of-quarter bonus. It's the difference between a $5,000 bonus at the end of the quarter and a $50,000 bonus. So what do you think most of my colleagues do? They churn right. for procedures. And yet you can come out of that process and run up a $130,000 hospital bill and still not be given any information that actually empowered your health. You might have gotten an MRI and a spinal tap and a neurology consultation, and a cardiology consultation, and a heart catheterization, et cetera. But you don't get health out of that. And so health has become uh, our province. It's what you two are doing. It's what I'm doing. It's what all of us are, what your listeners are doing. We're engaging in collaboration, information exchange, so we can be healthy because the doctors aren't doing it. Right. You know, uh, you talk about those, uh, you know, the patient research things. Dr. Isabella Wentz, she's done a bunch of those on different things like, uh, you know, even removing wheat and grain and, and uh, different supplements and stuff like that. There's some awesome reports from her on that kind of stuff. So let me ask you real quick, gluten, grains, and autoimmunity, how does that, how do they play together? Because there's so many, you know, Dana and I talk about there's so many really intelligent people. It's kind of like the great iodine debate. Uh, and there's the great iodine or the great uh, grain or gluten debate as well and autoimmunity. What have you seen as far as research is concerned on that? So, so we know for a fact that the gliadin component of gluten, uh, as well as related proteins and other grains, like the cecalin in rye and the hordine of barley and the zein of corn, are the initiating steps that generate the intestinal permeability that then sets in motion a cascade that leads to autoimmunity. And we know for a fact it leads to type 1 diabetes in children and rheumatoid arthritis. What's not clear 
is of the 200 or so conditions of autoimmunity, how many, what percentage are initiated by grains? It's a lot. I don't think it's 100%, but it's a lot. It's probably easily better than 50%. So there's not been enough time to explore that mechanism in each and every disease. You know, we don't know, for instance, how many, how, what percentage of autoimmune hepatitis is caused by the glide, is initiated by the gliadin protein of wheat-related grains. But we know, but, you know, the thing we do know is it's very easy to not be exposed to gliadin. Don't eat grains. It's very easy. So mm-hmm. uh, that is well established, that the gliadin protein of wheat and related proteins in other grains, including the zein protein of corn, are, is the initiating step in, autoimmune, in many autoimmune diseases, if not most. So you get rid of it. Now, wheat and related grains are not just a source of gliadin. They're a source of many other inflammatory proteins that kind of fan the fires of autoimmune and other forms of inflammation. Wheat germ agglutinin. Sounds like gluten, but it has nothing to do with gluten. It's called agglutinin because when it contacts red blood cells, it causes them to agglutinate or clump or clot. Wheat germ agglutinin is a very potent gastrointestinal uh, irritant, a toxin. And the small quantity that gains access to the bloodstream is highly inflammatory. Uh, we, in other words, we know that there are multiple components beyond gliadin, beyond gluten, in grains that are inflammatory and provoke further the autoimmune diseases. We also know that grains and sugars disrupt bowel flora. They're massively disruptive on bowel flora, uh, maybe because they, the gliadin protein is disruptive, the wheat germ gluten is disruptive. The amylopectin A carbohydrate is digestible by bacteria and causes bacteria to ascend up from the colon and cause small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Sugars do the same thing, of course. And so people who have Hashimoto's almost always have dysbiosis and often small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And that's true for all autoimmune diseases. So once autoimmunity sets in, <clears throat> it potentiates or worsens the autoimmune disease. As you, as you know, if you're vitamin D deficient, you... Vitamin D deficiency doesn't cause autoimmune diseases. It allows them to emerge if some other trigger is present, like the gliadin protein of wheat. Pardon me. So to have an autoimmune disease like Hashimoto's or rheumatoid arthritis, sorry, requires kind of a a complex of abnormality to emerge. But once you recognize that, people are given the means to undo the uh, autoimmune disease. Now, unfortunately, as you two know, Hashimoto's is one of those handful of autoimmune diseases where we can't regenerate thyroid function. Just like if you have autoimmune uh, pancreatitis or autoimmune hepatitis, those two organs likewise not very good at regenerating, even if you remove the original cause of the, of the inflammation, of the autoimmune inflammation. So that's why so many people with Hashimoto's are left with hypothyroidism. So what do you say to the French baker or the physician that just can't wrap his head around this whole grain free. What do you, I mean, I know that, I know that physicians, unfortunately, their education is, is limited this information in the financial paradigm, but what do you say to them when you shake hands with Dr. Smith and Dr. Smith says, you know, Dr. Davis, I just can't get this. Or the French baker that says, what do you mean? I, you know, this is, we've been doing this for thousands of years or whatever. What do you say to them? Well, there's a basic fundamental flaw in nutritional logic, and bear with me. It's if you replace something bad with something less bad, and there's an apparent benefit. If you're a nutritionist, a dietitian, or a researcher in the nutrition world, you would say a whole bunch of less bad things must therefore be good. That's the kind of flawed logic used in nutrition. No other science, just nutrition. 
So I've replaced white flour with whole grains, and there's apparent benefit. And there is a benefit, by the way. There's less colon cancer, less weight gain, less type 2 diabetes, less cardiovascular disease. That's true. Then by this flawed logic of, of nutrition, a whole bunch of whole grains are good for you. Let's apply that same logic to tobacco, to cigarettes. If we replace unfiltered tars, full tar cigarettes with filtered low tar cigarettes and there's apparent reduction in, colon, in um, lung cancer and heart disease, should we conclude that smoking a whole bunch of filtered low tar cigarettes is therefore good for you? Of course, that's ridiculous. But that you'll see that flawed logic used over and over and over. If I replace something bad with something less bad. So in the case of the French bread, French bakers often ferment their bread. Some of them use traditional strains of wheat, not all of them. Some get their wheat flour from Saskatchewan, uh, but some will use traditional strains of wheat. Many will ferment it, and um, there's other, some other regional, local, and national differences in the strains of wheat being used. It is less harmful. But, you know, they still have plenty of type 2 diabetes, type 1 diabetes, autoimmune diseases, psychiatric illness, seborrheic psoriasis, uh, etc., in France. It's not like the French are immune to these problems. There's also regional differences in bowel flora composition that we can't account for. And we, we have it worse probably in the U.S. and North America. So that, you'll find that doctors, dietitians, and people in the food industry are guilty of the most glaring flawed logic uh, when they talk about those kinds of things. <laughs> so, you know, people will say things like the Mediterranean diet is great. No, it's just less bad than the average American diet. So I, I think what we're all asking is what is the ideal diet? What is, what is an ideal diet that frees you from all the, you know, the anthropologists call the diseases like type 2 diabetes and depression and schizophrenia and type 1 diabetes and autoimmune disease. They call them diseases of civilization. And they call it that because in cultures that hunt, and gather food, dig in the dirt for roots, and gather berries and nuts, have almost no cancer, no dementia, no heart disease, no type 2 diabetes, no obesity, no Hashimoto's thyroiditis, no autoimmune diseases. They have injury and infection, of course, um, but they have none of the so-called diseases of civilization. And I think it's an important lesson in there. And the, so the paleo people play with this idea. But the one commonality among all the primitive cultures who are spared all those diseases, because some eat uh, guava and uh, papaya and bananas, and some eat, you know, shellfish. There, there are differences, but the right. commonality is they eat no grains. They eat no wild living culture eats grains, at least not till recently. Hmm. I get it. I hear you. So, yeah. what do you say to the patient? That's like, I, I have tried this, and I just can't do it. But I'm doing okay as long as I stay within, like, 30 carbs a meal of flour or grains or whatever it is. What do you say to that patient that tells you, I can't, I can't do it? I have too much struggle removing grain out of my diet. I don't feel well. My blood sugar drops. I can't go potty. I can't sleep. I can't. What do you say to them? This is like the smoker, the cigarette smoker says, you know what, I really can't quit smoking because I'll be miserable for about 10 days or so. In other words. So <clears throat> there is a clear-cut opiate withdrawal syndrome. So we haven't talked about that, but the gliadin protein of wheat and related proteins and other grains 
are very poorly digestible. So recall that grains are seeds of grasses. You know, if we could eat grass, we should have a big green salad every time we cut the lawn, right? <clears throat> but we, we don't, of course. But you ever wonder why? Why can't we save those clippings, provided a dog didn't poop on it or something? Why don't we save those clippings and toss some Italian dressing on it? Well, you know, people have done that during wartime and other times, and you get quite ill. If you try to eat grass or any component of grass, you get quite sick because we can't digest the leaves, the roots, the husks. Sure. We try to consume the seeds, but the same principle applies. There are multiple indigestible or partially digestible components, even in the seeds of grasses. And so the gliadin protein of wheat is not well digested. It's not broken down to single amino acids like other proteins. It's broken down to peptides or fragments, about four or five amino acids long. And these are very unique in that they can penetrate into the brain and bind to the opiate receptors of the brain. And so they cause, in effect, an opiate addiction syndrome. It shows up as increased appetite, mental fog, behavioral outbursts in kids with ADHD and autism. It shows up as paranoia and hearing voices in people with schizophrenia. It it causes bipolar breaks in people with bipolar illness, the the mania phase. It causes 24-hour-a-day food obsessions in people prone to binge eating disorder and bulimia. So when you take it out of your diet, when you go grain-free, there's an opiate withdrawal syndrome. That is, and your listeners should know this, very unpleasant. Nausea, headache, depression, even suicidal thoughts, uh, and fatigue. So uh, what I tell people is just get through it. Now, in, my, in the Wheat Belly and Doctrine books, I tell people how to soften the blow. There are some steps you can take. You have to hydrate. You have to salt your food. You don't exercise because you're going to make yourself miserable. Uh, et cetera. There are steps you can take to get through it. And then another thing I do to help people do this is I show them how to – I learned this long ago. If I had people eat only pure good foods, real whole foods, um, they'd come back after Thanksgiving bloated, 14 pounds heavier with disastrous blood work. I asked them what happened. They said, well, you know, uh, we had pumpkin pie and gravy and biscuits and all that. And I had to have it. It was holidays. <laughs> so I showed people in the last six years how to recreate cheesecake, pancakes, biscuits, just about all common grain-based foods with benign ingredients. And now I see people go through Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever holiday, and they say, you know what? I lost two pounds over the holidays, and I ate everything I wanted. So uh, some people criticize me for pushing these recipes a little bit too much. But, you know, I saw, I saw <laughs> compliance and success skyrocket when I showed people how to recreate, say, a pizza using healthy ingredients. And so it's not as tough as people think if, if they're told what's going on. First, there's about a week of an opiate withdrawal syndrome, and there are steps you can take to soften it. Two, there are ways to have a pizza again or a cheesecake or a birthday cake, but you're going to have to be shown using benign ingredients. It's very easy. Downside, a little bit of inconvenience. You've got to shop. You've got to prepare a lot of these foods on your own because most food manufacturers don't get it yet. Uh, or, or, or produce gluten-free crap foods that nobody should be eating because those are horrible. They cause extravagant weight gain. They cause inflammation. They cause belly fat. They can make you diabetic in just a few weeks. They give you cataracts and arthritis. It's horrible what is passed off as gluten-free food now. So you know, all, all we want to do is collaborate and educate people about the right way to do this. Because it, on, on the positive side, knowledge in the past few years has gotten to a critical mass so powerful that we do. We all have the means to not have lupus, 
to not have coronary disease, to not be a type 2 diabetic, to not have rheumatoid arthritis, to not have seborrhea. And it does not even have to involve the doctor because the doctor will likely bungle it anyway. So we can do this on our own. That's why I call this process the undoctored process. Hmm. I love it. And I know you do have the 10-day grain detox course because you, you just yeah, nailed you know, me on the them. head. Every, every time, and I'll, I'll be just really frank and honest with you, every time that I have tried to go gluten or grain-free, and I, I honestly can tell you that I usually hit about 14 days, and I'm like, I cannot do this. I, my, I end up with my blood sugar crashing because I've been a food-controlled diabetic since I was 19. So, you know, for me, it's all about the number of carbs. Like, you know, carb loading, forget it, I'm out, you know. But if I can stick right around that 30 carbs, and there's also different types of wheats that hit me very differently. Like there's certain types of breads and stuff I can't eat. My brain is out right there and then. I mean, I'm sure that probably has maybe something more to do with, you know, other factors involved or whatever. But every time that I have tried to go gluten or grain-free, my biggest problem, and I have four children, so my biggest problem is that I struggle with energy big time, and I also get very depressed, like scarily depressed. And I, that's not my thing. I'm, I'm pretty even-keeled. You know, uh, I, my moods don't really shift and rock much. But the minute I go grain and gluten-free, I am just like, I mean, my husband's like, gee whiz, you know, if this is the, you know, I'd rather have you die at 55 than live till you're 95 like that. <laughs> but but it, it, that's it's, really it's my problem. You nailed me. It's a, yep, it's a sign of the opiate withdrawal syndrome that there's no way to – it's like having, uh, you know, um, um, being addicted to OxyContin. You know, the only way to break it <clears throat> is to not take OxyContin and endure the nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, et cetera. It will pass. It's not pleasant. And so as you are very well aware, it is not pleasant. It is a real syndrome. People don't believe it until they actually try it and they get quite ill, but you do get through it. It, it, so you, you try to choose a non-stressful period if possible. You hydrate more than usual. You salt your food. You pamper yourself. You watch funny movies. You get a massage. Uh, and it will not last forever. It's like the flu. The flu won't. You don't, you don't tell yourself you're going to die when you have the flu. You know it's going to be over in about a week or so. So it's a necessary process to get through. But there's no way to not have it if you're going to have it. Now, the, hyp, the hypoglycemia is a pre-diabetic response, so this, which fits with your story. So hypoglycemia almost never occurs without hyperglycemia preceding it. It means you're exceptionally uh, insulin resistant. And yeah, so uh, what what we do is first do everything possible to improve insulin resistance, insulin sensitivity, restore vitamin D, reverse your dysbiosis, cultivate bowel flora, take magnesium, um, fish oils, part of it. And wheat grain elimination, of course, because wheat and grains raise blood sugar higher than table sugar ounce for ounce. Uh, and then cut your carbs to no more than 15 grams net carbs per meal. You know, you, know, you can use a I, – I tell a lot of people that a glucose meter, a simple you know, $20 glucose meter you can buy at Walmart, right. is not only the most effective and most powerful weight loss tool you can buy, it's also a way to manage weight loss and your hypoglycemic episodes. So anytime your blood sugar rises at all, at all, you risk hypoglycemia. So what we follow is we do, uh, we do something called a no-change rule. If your blood sugar is 100 before a meal, it should be 100 30 to 60 minutes after a meal. 
So if you follow no change rule, there is no hypoglycemia. There's acceleration of weight loss. You can break weight loss plateaus. And type 2 diabetics uh, most commonly become non-diabetic within a few weeks. So very, very useful tool. Because one of the things I love are do-it-yourself-at-home tools for health, tools that you can use to reverse a condition, to track something. You know, that, we're, in, we're in that age now. I have a wireless blood pressure monitor activated by my iPhone. I track my blood sugars with a little teensy-weensy blood glucose monitor from a company called Dario. I plug them to my smartphone, and I run my blood sugar. It comes up in my app. So we're, we're, we have these wonderful tools now that help us succeed in this lifestyle. But the doctor really doesn't – so the doctor probably tells you, check a blood sugar two hours after a meal. Because his only interest is whether your blood sugar is controlled on insulin right. and drugs. <laughs> right. We don't give a crap about that. We want to use a blood sugar monitor maybe to lose weight or to be non-diabetic or not have hypoglycemia. So it's very easy. But ironically, if you follow the advice of the doctor, you'll become diabetic. You know, we oh, have another level of Many years ago. <laughs> I remember, so, and, and you know, you'll probably find this amusing. Many years ago, I had an argument with a, with a nutritionist. And uh, regarding fat in, in a diabetic diet, they were, they were nutritionists. This is what they did for a living. And long story short, I said, you know, fat is critical to a diabetic. And they're like, oh, no, you know, it puts on weight and all of these different things. And finally, after, at the end of the conversation, I said, you know, excuse me, my ask, are, are you diabetic? And they're like, no. And I said, well, I am. And I, I have, you know, I've done food control, no medication for quite some time, and fat is a huge piece of information in that for me. You know, if I eat an apple, you know, I will have a one-ounce piece of cheese or something like that, and my blood sugar stays stable. But they, they didn't get that. And then all of a sudden, so many years later, now all of a sudden, even though I think still the, the paradigm is, is, you know, a low fat, which is like death for a diabetic, that's a guarantee, you know, that's like speed. Remove the fat, yes. and, and blood sugars are on speed, you know, I mean – craziness to me i was a type 2 diabetic myself 25 years ago and uh because i followed an ultra low fat vegetarian diet while jogging mm-hmm. five to eight miles a day but now oh, i have yeah. uh fasting glucose is in the 80s and an a1c of 4.8 percent taking nothing wow. there is no right. drugs so it's and i've done this many many times with people it's very easy but you know one of the problems we're having is you ladies what i do what a lot of people like us are doing uh, we're finding that big media is blocking our message now. That, that's why we're resorting to podcasts and articles and blogs, because you, you, if you watch TV now, you see who dominates the advertising dollars. It's Big oh, yeah. Pharma. Yeah. So Big Pharma now, in effect, controls the messaging of uh, network TV and cable TV, because they don't want to air any kind of conversation that's contrary to the you know, the, the diabetes drugs, the autoimmune drugs, the biologics, those hugely profitable franchises. So we talk about freedom of speech, but we have big industries now like Big Pharma essentially squashing the message. So that's why what you, you two are doing, what I'm doing, what your listeners are doing is so critical to get the word out that the, prof, the predatory healthcare system is about money. Now, they're even in control of much of the media. I know this sounds like conspiracy theorist stuff. But just no, watch no, TV no, it does not. And you see. So, you know, uh, 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 talk shows, TV talk shows, TV news now almost make no mention of pro- problems in this horrible thing we have called health care. 
they only talk about the politics of health care, like Obamacare and some of the innovate. But they don't, they don't talk about the actual problems. They don't tell you, for instance, that uh, uh, that um, the new drugs for hepatitis C, a vial of 120 capsules, one vial. You go to the pharmacist, he gives you one vial with 120 capsules. It's, the price starts at $84,000. Oh my God. There's no mention of those kinds of glaring problems on major media because uh, Big Pharma now controls the messaging of network TV. So we've got to talk about it. Well, and even, you know, um, majority of the people that I know that are on high blood pressure medication or on uh, diabetes medication, they're on an average of two two meds. It's not even working with one anymore. I mean, it's like this is enormous business. It's it's heartbreaking, honestly. I, I call type 2 diabetes the gift that keeps, keeps on giving to the pharmaceutical <laughs> industry. Because... <laughs> Because as you know, no you know, you start in metformin, then it becomes Tugeo and uh, um, uh, no. Traceba. And before you, the average increase in costs for a type 2 diabetic is about $8,000 per year per person. And it's wow. going up all the time because they're bringing all, all these new drugs. Never once telling you that you can get rid of type 2 diabetes in 90% of people with a shift in right. diet and correcting some of the phenomena that surround diet, like vitamin D and, and bowel flora. They don't tell you that because it's it, – that wh- why would we – why would they allow us to cut off their cash cow? We're not talking about a few million. We're talking about billions of dollars. So there's a concerted effort to shut people like us up because what we say is essentially free but works. But this is why it's right. so important for all of us to agitate, to, to write blogs, to talk to people because, you know, when, when we know we're right and we have people who are former diabetics – former people with autoimmune diseases who look and feel better. That's something people can see, by the way, on the, my Facebook page, the Replay Facebook page, are the incredible before-after pictures where people actually look different. They look 10, mm-hmm. 20 years younger. Their faces deflate. The inflammation recedes. And some of it's due to weight loss. A lot of it's due to the uh, reversal of inflammation from not consuming grains. So uh, th- it's such an important message. We've got to keep on spreading these kinds of ideas. Well, and we know that you are super busy. I I worked with physicians a long time, uh, particularly a cardiology practice, and uh, I love these doctors, and I I love what you do, and I know you're super busy. So before we let you go, tell us about this new book and how just some tips on how we can become smarter than our doctor. How how do we get them gently to, to have these discussions? So as you know, if you went to the doctor and said, I'd like to take iodine because I'm cold, I just want to see if it's iodine deficiency, <laughs> he'll make fun of you. He'll say, that's stupid, right. get enough in your diet, which of course is absurd. Right. Um, if you said, I want to do wheat and grain elimination because I have an autoimmune condition or I'm a type 2 diabetic, I'm going to lose some weight and lower my blood sugar. He's going to make fun of you and give you American Diabetes Association diet that causes type 2 diabetes. Right. <laughs> so in other words, so <laughs> if the doctor is not helping us, why do we even try? If the doctor is not only just giving us ineffective information, but giving us harmful, harmful information and tries to steer us in the direction of revenue-generating activities in the hospital and drugs, why do we even bother with the doctor? You know, they're there if we need them. But for health, we don't need them. And this is what I saw play out hundreds of thousands of times. People who were former diabetics, no longer had rheumatoid arthritis, lost 70, 80, 130 pounds, look better, feel better, look 10 to 20 years younger, and they did it 
despite their doctors. And that's what I'm trying to spark here, this idea that the doctor is really not that helpful in the first place. And the health you, you and I can achieve without the doctor, without the healthcare system, is not on a par with what the doctor provides. It's superior. It's dramatically superior to the health that the doctor would have helped you achieve. And it just requires a handful of very simple strategies, like the ones we've talked about, wheat and grain elimination. But you can see, if you didn't know about the opiate withdrawal syndrome, for sure. Or the hypoglycemic effects of excess carbohydrate intake. In other words, so I'm trying to flesh this out uh, by telling people, so yes, wheat grain elimination, but understand what it is you're getting into, and here's what to expect, and here's how to navigate this so you do it successfully. Because if you do it successfully, there's this astounding, wonderful rainbow at the end of this process. Here's how to do vitamin D and get it right. Because your doctor won't know, he's going to botch it up. Here's how to get your bowel floor right. Because your doctor won't know, nor will the gastroenterologist. He's going to tell you, uh, eat yogurt. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> that, was, that, that was actually one of my questions was the bowel flora. I mean, is probiotics just that easy? Just, just run out and, and, no. and grab the Renew 90 billion? Is it just that easy? <laughs> no. No, so that's a whole conversation of its own. Right. Let, let me just kind of encapsulate by saying, think of your bowel floor as a garden, like a springtime garden. Pair the soil, you need to plant seeds, and then you need to water and fertilize it through the growing season. And your bowel floor is exactly the same. You prepare the soil, remove chlorinated water, remove, remove foods with herbicide, pesticide residues, so you eat organic. Um, uh, avoid antibiotics. Eat no grains, eat no sugars. So prepare the soil. Plant the seeds. That's the probiotics and fermented foods. They're planting seeds of new species. And then next, you water and fertilize it, which are the prebiotic fibers. That's a little bit more complicated, but it's very easy to do. And then there's some other twists and turns about this, because some people with small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which is very common, can't just do this. There are some things you have to do first, identify it, correct it before you start this. It's not that tough. But you're rewarded by these kinds of modest efforts, which are all, by the way, nearly all done on your own. You don't need the doctor to do it. Uh, you're rewarded by magnificent health. You know, when somebody is freed of rheumatoid arthritis for the first time in 20 years and not having to receive $3,000 a month intravenous biologic injections, that's big stuff. When you have somebody who's had type 2 diabetes for 12 years, now have an A1C of 4.6% and fasting glucose of 90, that's a big thing. You know, you've added eight years to that person's life. And, and averted cataracts, arthritis, and hip replacement. So these are such profound changes in people's lives, but it helps to have some benign guidance, and that's what I'm trying Absolutely. to do. Oh, I hmm. love it. So this is, this is the, all these tips and tricks and, and, and explanations are all in your new book, correct? The Undoctored, Why Healthcare Has Failed You and Becoming Smarter Than Your Doctor, correct? When is that coming out? It came out about two weeks ago. So it's, it's oh, already my goodness. Available. Yes, I need to get that. It's already out. Whoopsie. <laughs> it's already out. And I I'm think gonna... this idea that we we can collaborate for answers. That's what you two are doing. And that we can use tools. So you, you, you two know that if, if uh, one of your listeners encounters resistance from the doctor and says, you don't need a free T3 and a reverse T3, you don't need the doctor. <laughs> you can get a fingerstick test kit. You can go to one of the direct-to-consumer lab test companies and get it done yourself. And then you can come back to people like you and have an online forum conversation. What do I do? My free T3 is low. What do I do? My, my thyroid peroxidase antibody is kind of high. What do I do? Because the doctor won't know. 
I remember my endocrinologist, my endocrinologist, when I asked for a reverse T3 and the antibodies, of course, he, he ran the antibodies, of course, for me, but he said, I asked him, I said, why, why don't these get done? And he said, well, Tiff, this really, there's nothing you really can do other than alter medication, which we do anyways. And I thought, wow, that's a, that's a bad answer. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty stupid <laughs> you know? for a guy who's supposed to be an expert in that area. Isn't that something? <laughs> exactly, right? Everyone yeah. always says, oh, well, yep. the endocrinologist will know. I'm like, yeah, that, that can be a real good yep. size hit or miss, too, you know? <laughs> and you pay them anyway. Oh, my gosh. And you're I like a, I, I, <clears throat> you're like a wonderful oxymoron of yourself. Man. I have right. to say, He's learning. Dr. Davis, <laughs> you're like a you're like a wonderful oxymoron because you keep saying the doctors aren't going to tell you. The doctors don't know. <laughs> you're a cardiologist. It's just it's I every time you say the doctors don't know, I just get a little giggle because because you're a doctor and it's fabulous what you're doing. Well, you know, I'm not here in a white coat charging you. No. $285 for an no. office visit and no. then ordering your next MRI. So, yeah, yeah, I do come from that background, but I don't think I'm operating in that. In fact, I'm often ashamed that I have MD behind my name. because it, it build, Oh, it, it, don't it, say it, that. It, you worked hard well, for in that. A lot of ways you know what I'm saying? Well, in a lot of ways it labels me as ignorant of health. because So when you two are talking to your doctor or endocrinologist, you know right away who knows more about health. You do. Who knows more about diet? You do. <laughs> yeah, you're the one paying the other person, right? <laughs> so uh, doctors, conventional, now this is not true for all, of course. There are functional medicine doctors, integrative health doctors, chiropractors, and people who are emerging to be the champions of health. I'm talking about the 90-plus percent conventional doctors, the John Q. Right. Primary Cares, the endocrinologists, gastroenterologists, et cetera, are not just ineffective, they're astoundingly ignorant and harmful because of the information they don't know they make fun of what it is we're doing, uh, and yet the irony is we're actually getting better. We're getting slenderer. We're looking better. Our blood sugars are dropping. Our bone densities are increasing. We're getting rid of rheumatoid arthritis and type 2 diabetes, and all they do is pile the drugs and tests on. So right. I'm very proud of what it is we're trying to do, but it's going to be a long uphill battle because we're the ones who say you can do it for free and very easily, and there's no pot of gold. No. Right, and and proof is in the pudding, you know. I mean, I always tell people, you know, they're either going to have to jump on board and realize the the nutrition and and all these things that patients can do for themselves and and different things, or they will eventually be unemployed. They won't have a job with that same medical paradigm, you know. They're going to have to listen to the fact that their patients say, "I understand my numbers are perfect, but I don't feel good," and I'm here because you're educated. You're supposed to help me in this journey. They're, you're a partner in the journey. This isn't a dictatorship. We are partners in my health. Well and, said. And if you don't, fell, if well you don't fall, you know, we listen to me in this, and I'm going to have to find another partner in my health. And they will eventually have to change that, or they will not have a job. Yes. Very and sad. that partner might be the online collaborations we have. Right, And right. more often than not, you get better answers than the doctor provided. Yep, it's an exciting new age. It's an exciting new age. It is. I we wanted to ask so you grateful. really quick. No, I wanted to ask him really quick. What? What's? What's your? What's your lunch menu? What's your breakfast? What are what's you on, having today? Exactly. What's on the? What's on the menu? <laughs> uh, I, I actually had a delicious steak last night, and I had some leftovers, so I had half a steak with two um, uh, uh, over easy eggs, and um, I had some asparagus. So it's real food. 
and it's mm. it's noon where I am in, in 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 the Midwest, and I'm not hungry, so I probably won't eat lunch, because as you know, grain-free people don't have uh, a hunger like other people do. We can go extended periods without eating, so we have this natural built-in fast mechanism. And I'll probably eat around five tonight. I eat, you know, I'm not even sure, maybe a piece of salmon with some veggies and uh, something simple. Uh, though I'm going to make a flourless chocolate cake in a few minutes. So I wanted to highlight that because, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> lots of people say, well, that's all well and fine eating salmon and asparagus. But you know what? I have kids. I have grandkids. I've got entertaining. Right. I've got holidays. So I, I remind them that you can have these wonderful foods, pick and choose your sweeteners, your flowers prop. Don't use wheat flour, of course. Use coconut flour or almond flour. Don't use sugar. Use monk fruit or stevia or erythritol. Very benign natural sweeteners. Not aspartame, not sucralose, not saccharin, not sulfate, not that Ooh. stuff. <laughs> and you can make very tasty, delicious things. That you can entertain your friends, keep the kids and grandkids happy. You can have a wonderful cheesecake or biscuits or pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving. So it's really a life of plenty, and, and you get through these things with no health downsides. So I'm going to make a flourless chocolate cake, uh, chocolate cake after I'm off the phone. Well, you're going to have to take a picture of it now and post it on social media because we want to <laughs> okay. see what this thing looks like. We want to see. You're we, do. we do. We do. We <laughs> do. Uh, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Davis. We are huge fans and even more so now, and we just love you and appreciate you coming on and helping us spread the message. Thank you, and keep up the great work. It's needed. Th- thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. We're going to see his chocolate cake. <laughs> I have to do it, right? I'm, I'm an opiate I know. addict. Gee whiz. You are an a, opiate that's addict. That's a tough message right there. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tiff. Oh, my goodness. got slammed by Dr. Davis. He's telling you where to, what to do and where for and how to do it and all that. <laughs> Well, you know, I have to tell you, right? I mean, uh, going from 120 to 30 on my thyroid medication, I feel good. I mean, my G, if I go back, you know, six years ago, I feel so much better. But I still don't feel like me, and I'm, I'm very thin by nature, and I'm heavy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm overweight. So that's been the big kicker is, you know, my antibodies haven't budged, what, but 30 points, you know, at all in all of this journey and what have you. And my weight hasn't budged, you know, uh, which is fascinating to me. But uh, so, you know what? I'm going to take a picture and I'm going to, I can't, I'm, I'm going to do it. I am going to do it because those two factors, I think my weight probably bothers me the most. And that sounds very egotistical, but I'm just going to be honest. You know, I, I just don't, I still don't feel like myself. You know what I mean? Yes. And there's a thousands of people listening who totally understand and get you and right. are right there with you. Like myself. I mean, I don't feel like myself right now either. So, yeah, I, mean, I totally get it. And and the whole opiate, you know, addiction and, and you have to balance and things, you know, it may take you an extra since you're like the opposite of everything. It may take you even <laughs> a little bit longer than the average person to get through it. Right. I mean, no. And seriously, I, I mean, the, the, the depression and the, the blues and the glum was scary, scary, scary for me. Like, oh, my God, you know. Um, but we're coming up yeah. on summer. So, 
Maybe. <laughs> I know we're busy, but maybe it's a little less stressful. I don't know. You know, know. summertime. Yeah, with four kids. Are you crazy? Come on, I'm trying. I'm going to have to get past that. Well, you know what's funny? And with my schedule now, I I don't feel stressed. I mean, even though I'm busy and I I may get a little bit tired, but I'm not, like, stressed. Like, you know, beforehand, you know, just even, you know, the idea of making dinner used to stress me because I didn't even have enough energy to get up. But I don't, I don't struggle with that anymore. I'm so incredibly grateful. It's a gratitude moment. But there's still some, some tweaks. You know what I mean? I, I, the weight would be a, a, a really, you know, even, even my endocrinologist said to me, it's just fascinating to me, Tiffany, that literally you've put on 10 pounds <laughs> <laughs> since I went on thyroid medication. And, you know, his anticipation that I was, I was going to lose a little bit, you know what I mean? And, and it did, and it went the other way, right? Opposite woman. I want you to make me a shirt, by the way. That says oh, don't worry. Woman. Don't worry. <laughs> you know, it's already being. But I, I would like to, you know, and and I don't know whether it's vain or, you know, uh, yeah, that's a whole show for another day. No, but, you know, no. climbing the stairs it, and you, you want know, to feel good in your skin. Everybody wants to, and you and you have I would the right like to do that. And you have the right. Uh, I was gonna say something about something. Oh man, okay, it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> It'll come back. Well, and, It'll come back. Anyways, until you get it back, you know, all things, Dr. Davis, wheatbelly.com, that new book, I am going to get that with all of that explanation because, no, probiotics is not an easy answer and you can't just run out and grab a, a you know, a, a probiotic off the shelf and that's going to create this fabulous, you know, flora. It's not that easy. So the book sounds amazing. And he also has that 10-day grain detox course uh, to, for, for all the opiate addicts like me out there <laughs> that need to get through that. And that fabulous book, Undoctored, Why Healthcare Has Failed You and Becoming Smarter Than Your Doctor. I hate to say it, but I'm already kind of smarter than my doctor. I'm yeah, you a little, are. little there right now. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I'm going conceited for a second. All right. Uh, it's over. <laughs> Um, and wheat belly, so wheat belly things. blog and wheat belly, yes, just wheat yes, belly and blog and wheat belly. Doctor Davis at wheatbelly.com. That's right. Woo! That was a, a really, really. There was lots of flower-filled moments for me. It was really a good show. Uh, he was really concise and said it really quickly, but I was following along, and it was fabulous. Uh, just well, eat real it wasn't food. This big, big long spiel. You know what I'm saying? No. It's, it seems really, you know, I mean, we are not a horse. We are not a cow. We don't eat no. grass. We don't eat grass. I mean, no. our stomachs aren't designed to eat grass. We just, we don't, we don't eat grass. It's, it's nope. so simple when you think about it in the, in the grand scheme of things. So we're incredibly grateful for, for what he shared. I am, for sure, because everybody knows this has been a big, a big mountain for me going the whole grain and gluten-free it's like <sighs> yeah but he he nailed you and and so we're what's he happening okay I, I remember what i was going to ask you sulfur free how's that going it's going awesome i mean of course going on i i mean in literally just a little history when before i went on thyroid medication of course i had antibodies present for quite some time before my thyroid fell in a treatable range, and I had an enormous amount of pain. I felt like I literally had been hit by a car every day. It was horrible, top to bottom, joints, bones, just, oh, my God, you know, horrible pain. 
And much of that was fixed with thyroid medication, I honestly have to admit. Once, you know, my medication was optimized and everything looked good, a lot of that pain was gone. But then I would still have days that I would be in enormous amount of pain. And it wasn't frequently, you know, uh, or maybe I developed a new normal, you know what I mean? Because then when you really start going to another level and you really start identifying, you're like, yeah, well, my neck and my shoulders still do hurt or um, of course, if I eat particular type of wheat, my hips are like, you know, I hate to say it, but screw you, I'm out. But um, anyways, so after we had talked to Terry, Co- uh, Terry Cochran, we, she had talked about sulfur. So, of course, there's many amazing sulfur foods, garlic and most all of the cruciferous vegetables. And so when I started, and garlic was a big one for me because garlic has a lot of antiviral properties for the Epstein-Barr and and all that good stuff. But when I realized when I was eating foods that were high in garlic, I was in a tremendous amount of pain. So when I started playing with that, and I and I make a great salmon uh, with a, a juice with chopped um, garlic, and it's so tasty and amazing and wonderful, but we could never figure out why everybody was so grumpy and I was in a lot of pain. It's a great meal. <laughs> Anyways, long story short, uh, avoiding or minimizing sulfur foods. It doesn't mean I don't eat any garlic, but I was a garlic. You know, I would do it quite a, yeah. you know, quite a bit. Yeah, and and in fair amounts. So, uh, avoiding sulfur foods has uh, pretty much eliminated any type of pain. And if I'm in pain, I can look back and I I can find the sulfur in what I ate. And it's it's fascinating to me. It also makes me wonder if that's why I've had trouble with supplements that we've talked to some amazing people like glutathione and alpha lipoic acid and all of these different things that, that trigger this, you know, uh, sulfur pathway that I was like, felt like I was dying. Literally, mm-hmm. like, I'm like, how can this be so healthy? I feel like I'm dying. Yeah. So it's been, it's been amazing. I have to. And how long has it been? And, uh, like six weeks or something or, or longer? Oh, gosh, don't ask me timelines. I'm so bad with that. But I would say what? Like, yeah, I guess probably like four or five weeks, yeah. That's amazing. And I'm, I'm, I'm so doing my happy. 123 in me. It's sitting on my sitting on my desk. I ordered that up for, you know, uh, to learn about the genetic mutations and SNPs that I might have. And, and I don't know. I, I mean, I would love to take someone like Dr. Davis and have that whole genetic discussion of, you know, people that are just not designed. It's still an X factor in all of these protocols is are you genetically designed to process mm-hmm. these foods on these protocols? Mm-hmm. They sound amazing We're in theory different. and yeah. Right, We're 75, 80% of people might benefit, but what about that 25 or whatever? You know what I'm saying? So Absolutely. genetics to me is that is that a really exciting component of the future. It's exciting and it's, you know, it's a little overwhelming, but it's exciting. And, you know, you think about, it is and I don't have any, I don't have <laughs> any science behind this, but it does make you think, you know, everybody's talking about, or they used to talk about the blood type diets and things. I mean, I wonder, it makes you oh, wonder sure. if genetically there really are some things that, oh, blood type people just can't do. Like it just doesn't work based on science and well, all the stuff. I mean, you know, I, it's pretty interesting. I have, I have to admit it. I'm going to go back and, and literally do my timeline. You know, of course, my health timeline starts, you know, at birth. But um, do my timeline because I will tell you 
uh, I'm an O blood type, and I went uh, vegetarian. And, of course, we consumed a lot of soy, and I, I have, um, we also went to natural salts. We went, you know, we eliminated table salt, went to natural salt, so I took a large portion of iodine out of my diet, and I gained 55 pounds in a year. I went from literally 130 to 185 in a year. Okay, so I look back at all of this, right, and I went vegetarian. We, of course, a lot of vegetarian foods I was, you know, eating poorly, I would say, as a vegetarian because a lot of the protein sources were soy, we're particularly not. at mm-hmm. that time, right, and and had uh, um, just a lot of health problems and was lucky that, you know, I got through my first pregnancy with my son without kicking the, kick the can, um, you know, when they say that there's, you know, a Nobel Prize sitting for the person that, that finds out what causes preeclampsia and help. But I really think it's malnutrition, if you ask me honestly as hmm. a person. I mean, I looked healthy, but you can still be very malnourished and look healthy. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. And so that's why I, I think the you know, the future is exciting for, for medicine and things we still don't know or haven't put two and two together or aren't mainstream yet i think the the your o blood type you know i well and i, I wouldn't have be to surprised tell you, Jana, when when i when i quit my corporate job and went to work uh waiting tables with my husband just to kind of take a chill a chill time the the chef um from jillian's which was he's an amazing chef four star you know restaurant and he had had kidney failure and a kidney replacement anyways he said you know tiff you guys just have to have kids you know, you and your husband, you have to have kids, you know. And he's like, you need to eat meat. And I, I started, you know, I laugh and kind of shun him off and, you know, whatever. Okay, whatever, you know. And he said, listen, I'm going to make you a piece of white fish every day. Will you eat it? And I was like, sure. Yeah, okay, fine. Anyways, no kidding aside, right? And and for people to understand, my husband and I had been married 10 years with no kids. No babies. That's another mm-hmm. story. Right. I kind of was always told with kidneys I wouldn't. You know, anyways, I was pregnant within three months of eating it's, fish. It's, yeah, it's something. Uh, I can't, There's you know, something. say it as a statistic because, of course, mm-hmm. it's just my one experience. But then I started eating meat, you know, because I was concerned with the iron and the nutrition and, and all of these different things. But it was a little too late. I was already pregnant with my son, and I got very, very ill. Uh, my kidneys did did essentially, you know, tell me to, you know, to jump off at, at 36 mm-hmm. weeks. And, you know, uh, I really, really think that there was a malnourished, because they had told me with the HELP syndrome that I could never have children again without having the HELP syndrome again. Now, this was 15 years ago. A lot of research <laughs> on, on HELP and preeclampsia. They still don't know the answers yet. But they told me I could never have children. And I had three very healthy, beautiful pregnancies and three beautiful girls after that. And, but I was really on top of great prenatals, and I was eating meat, and and I don't know. I'm just going out on a limb here, but that and is non folic acid experience. prenatals. You were probably <laughs> one of the few, <laughs> right? That right. So it's new, not to and do the that. selenium. You know, big mm. shout out and selenium, 200 micrograms of selenium. I've been having a couple selenium. Brazil nuts every day, not necessarily for any particular reason other than I like them. 
And I know the selenium is good for me, whether it has enough soil and enough selenium and all of the factors. I was going to say, you know, yeah, that, that uh, can range pretty good. But yeah, it can. Right? Uh, right? If you love I'm, that food. Mm-hmm. And you I'm might, two you or might three. find we're giving a shout out to our own natural bodies right now. You know, just kind of like with ashwagandha for me, it worked amazing for 18 months. And then my body was like, no. If you really listen, right, or you might eat a bunch of Brazil nuts and then all of a sudden your body would be kind of repelled to them. You might be like, yeah, I'm going to take a break, right? I don't know, another hypothesis, but I really think we're an awfully, you know, an awful lot smarter than Mm -hmm. we, you know, design than we really give it credit for. Yeah. The body's built to thrive and it's built to survive and we really don't. We just don't give it enough credit. You're right. Okay, let's close the show. We're just going on and on and on. We could talk forever. <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, thank you, guys. Um, we really appreciate you joining us. We are on Stitcher. We are on iTunes. We would love a review. Stitcher has uh, just recently picked up all of our shows, and we need some reviews on there. So check us out on Stitcher, Thyroid Nation Radio. And thanks for joining us every week. We really do appreciate that. We very much appreciate that. Also, be sure to check out Thyroid Nation Essentials. Lots of goodies there just to help in your thyroid journey. And uh, synthetic-free, plastic-free, just all that good stuff. Yep. <laughs> and make sure to follow us on Thyroid Nation and all the social media platforms. And check out the Hashi's and Graves Facebook group where we uh, list the upcoming guests. And uh, we'll feature the shows and the links so you can go back and listen to them. Uh, lots of good information there. So check us out on Facebook, on uh, Hashi's and Grapes Facebook group. Hmm. Hmm. And thank you so hmm. much, you know, not only to the listeners, but also to the pharmacists and physicians and advocates and thrivers and everything that join us on Thyroid yes. Nation Radio. We are incredibly grateful. You have no idea. Dana and I are patients just like you guys. And uh, we want you we to, love it. to live well. And, and thrive. So we're really grateful to be on this journey with you. And most importantly, Dana and I always, I know we always close the show with this, but we can't tell you how important it is because we are all so unique and individual. We want to remind you that wellness is a journey and takes continual maintenance and evaluation. It's never as easy as just taking that pill or just taking that supplement or just following that protocol, right? There are adjustments. The thyroid is that governor of Please pay attention to me. People call it a people call it a butterfly. Personally, I call it a pit viper. <laughs> but we want to remind you to listen to your body and be mindful of what it is telling you, regardless of how smart these people are and whatever. There is never going to be anybody that is more intelligent for yourself than you. That's right. So pay attention. This is Dana. Your thyroid nation, thyroid tika. How about that? <laughs> and Tiffany Mladenich. I can't give up the, the Costa Rica until it's been a year. So uh, <laughs> wait till then, and I'm going to change it then. It's got to be official once I've been here for a year. <laughs> Bringing the collective voice of thyroid thrivers worldwide so that together, united we heal. Thanks, guys. And we Have are. a great week. We are healing. We are. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.